you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Luke. This month we're doing a, a series called Decisions. We'll be focusing on the most famous parable of all of them. It's called the parable of the prodigal, prodigal son, also called the lost son. And we're reading that. I'm going to ask you to read this parable every day till now to the end of the month. And I want, to ask, I want you to ask God to show you something new, something fresh and different in that parable because it has something different for everyone, everyone. And we read that parable a lot of times and we focus on the prodigal, the one that's the wayward son that comes back. But there's so, so much more to this parable than the wayward son. You've got the righteous son and you've got the faithful father and the wayward son and the different aspects that they approach and how they go about making amends and getting back together. So I want to encourage you to do that as we do this together each Sunday as well. The parable of the lost son is, is, uh, or the prodigal son is located in Luke chapter 15. It's the only place in history that this parable is recorded. Probably one of the most Again, famous and powerful parables there is. Let's read it together. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. Everybody say wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him off to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to his father, what, do y'all know what he said to him? He said the same thing, he rehearsed what he was going to say to him in the pig pen. And here it comes to real life. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come home. He replied, And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The, old brother, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask this morning that you will open our hearts and minds that we may receive your truth. Holy Spirit, move, fall fresh and new upon each and every one of us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, this Sunday we're continuing our discussion about decisions. And last Sunday we talked about how decisions are made. And decisions are made by respecting and having an authority in your life in which is a baseline of those decisions. We understood that authority comes from God for us as people of faith, from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We understand that the authority is not debatable, but is absolute. God has absolute authority in our lives, or He should. Authority is, seems to be putting on a, been put on a back burner uh, in our society today. And authority, whether it's civil or spiritual, whether it's uh, organizational or even uh, instrumental. It seems like authority has no place and people want to have informed their own opinions about everything and become, like we talked about last week, their own authority, which in the spiritual terms means you become a demigod. In other words, you determine what is right and wrong and the world evolves around you. But I'm here to tell you that authority according to God lies solely upon his shoulders and he is the God of creation and he is the God of our lives and he wants to be worshiped and be second to none for scripture says that he is a jealous God and he requires not a portion of our heart but all of our heart, say all, all of our heart. And yet even the Christian church has negated the authority of Holy Scripture and of God's will and presence in their life. And we need to repent. We need to repent and put God and Scripture and the Spirit back in the place that it should be put. We've been talking about asking the right questions because a lot of times we're answering, we're answering questions that are not even being asked. Or if we're answering questions that shouldn't be asked, or just the wrong questions, we need to examine that. A lot of our decisions are made because we're answering questions that are inappropriate or just misplaced. And maybe we should re-examine them. We gave the example about we don't have to come to church to go to heaven. That's the wrong question. It's not whether we come to church that gets us to heaven to start with. It's our faith and our choice and our decision to follow Jesus Christ and to accept Him as our Lord and personal Savior. 
See, Scripture says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that redeems us and forgives us and pays the debt, the penalty of sin in which it's distributed in our lives. It's only Jesus that did that. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can say. We don't earn it in any way. It is a gift from God, we call it grace. By grace, we have been saved. So going to church is the wrong question. It's the wrong answer to the wrong question. No, we don't go to church to go to heaven. We go to church because we need to live heaven on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we need to be rekindled, re renewed, our spirit rejuvenated in the ways and the admonition of God. And we do that in small, some small part, in some small way, by coming to church. It's important. It's important. Today we're going to be talking about processes, how we make decisions, what they're based on. As we, tell, we read in this parable, there were three different people that were all in different positions of making decisions. There was the wayward son that made decisions, but they were decisions based on lusty flesh and lustly de desires. We have the decision of the righteous son who was obeying the commands of the father. But we have to question, ask the question, was he obeying the commands of the father because of his desire and his love for the father or for his desire and love to be righteous? And we need to ask those questions and determine where does he fall? And then we have the decisions of the father. First, to divide the inheritance among the children and, and send one off. And we have to... Uh, un we have to ask the question about, okay, the decision about him to welcome the son so readily when he came back, offering very little excuse or, or very little uh, requirement for excuse about what he's done, a full acceptance without wavering. That was his decision, both to give and to receive. So as we make decisions, we have to determine, well, what are decisions based on anyway? And a lot of us pride ourselves in making decisions logically, right? We like to examine, do our research, logically come to a conclusion and to make a decision, this is what I need to do. You think that's correct? I mean, do you find yourself being that person? Yeah. I'd like to think I am, but most time, I'm really not. I'm really not. Uh, Dr. Timothy Wilson wrote a book called Strangers to Ourselves and Discovering the Adaptive Unconscious. He says in this book that our brain, every second, takes in over 11 million pieces of data. Okay, did y'all hear that? 11 million, say million. 11 million pieces of data per second. Now, if this doesn't demonstrate and establish that we are fearfully and wonderfully created by a being that absolutely gave us the ability to do amazing things, I don't know what is. It's just a mess, mind-boggling. 11 million pieces of data. He says our issue is how we organize that data into an effort that propels us to make a decision that is appropriate for us in that lifestyle or wherever we are, whatever we're doing. 
Susan McKenzie writes an article in, in psychology and business psychology talking about how we sell things, how the market value goes with people and how we respond as people to make a decision to buy a product or not. And she says, most of all our decisions, big or small, are made unconsciously and are made when emotion is involved. Matter of fact, she says 100% of the time, every decision, whether it's logical or whether it's impulsive, is made with an emotional influence. Hmm. So we've got a lot of data coming in and we've got a lot of emotion that is with our decisions that we're trying to logically order and put into a, a, a proper perspective. So much that it controls our lives in so many different ways. Our emotion, what we identify with, and by the way, she also says this, that emotion is the biggest identifier for people to a source or to a brand, for brand loyalty or things of this nature, emotion is. For example, uh, this is one I just came up with. Uh, back not too long ago, there was this commercial in the Super Bowl, and that's a big thing for commercials in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl commercial, and they had this kid dressed up as this space guy, and he goes out into the front of the car, and he goes, does anybody know what the commercial's about? Who? It was for Volkswagen, and he tried to make the start, start, okay? And his dad was in there watching in a window and had a remote starter. And when he went like this, he was Darth Vader, that's right. He was Darth Vader and he was trying to make, by the force, power of the force, make this car start. And his dad was drinking coffee at the window and sees him, picks up the remote and turns it on because it had remote starting. And when it did, the boy just kind of nearly fell out. Now everybody, well, obviously not y'all, but most people remember that commercial not because it was a Volkswagen that they were selling, but it was because the emotion that was attached of how cute that boy was and his reaction to when his father remotely started that car, okay? So when they went into the dealership, they said, oh yeah, it brought back an emotional response to that. For example, we know we see things that are tied together with products. Did you know that we always refer to Back in the days, if you wanted to make a copy of something, go and Xerox it for us. Now, are we Xeroxing it? No, Xerox was a brand or a company, right? We're making copiers, but there's all kinds of copiers out there from IBM to, uh, um, well, I can't think now. Uh, what's the picture place? Canon, that's, that's the ones we have, Canon. Uh, they make good copies. But anyway, uh, there's lots of different copies. Let's make it a copy, but we call it Xerox. Why? That brand branded itself to an emotional response that we automatically now things think that copying is called Xeroxing. Now about this one? Things go better with, things go better with Coke. It's a blank generation. Y'all don't watch TV much. Anyway, or maybe you hadn't watched it in my time. Okay, it's a Pepsi generation. And what they're trying to do, come up with a slogan that generates an emotional response that you will identify with easily and they will take you from a logical point of buying a product 
to habitual point because there's two bases of which we make decisions. There's a value-based decision-making process, which is logical, but it still involves emotion. And there is habitual or a habit-based form, which we make out of loyalty and the high-rise of emotions. Now, why do we say that? Why are we talking about that? Because everything that we do is a decision. We're making decisions constantly, over and over and over again. And a lot of it comes from an emotional reservoir of what we identify with. In the South, we identify with being really polite, and most people that move here from afar off, they talk about how nice everybody is and how much everybody waves at everybody when they see each other. But it also has byproducts that doesn't work too well, as well as being very kind and good too. This is a a meme that I came across the other day. And this is a four-way stop in the South. You go, no, you go, no, no, you go, no, you go. And you sit there for two to three minutes at a four-way stop, traffic is piling up because we want to be polite instead of following the rules. The road is not a place for you to practice courtesy, okay? The road is for you to practice following the rules. So if you're the first one at the light and you see a car coming that's 20 yards from now, you don't sit there and stop and go. You just go through the four-way stop. And while I'm ranting on this, I strategically put this in the sermon because I want to do a little educational process. When you go to a four-way stop, if you're the first one there, you go. If you're the second one there, you wait to the one that's on the right to go. It's yield to the right because you go clockwise, right? So you go around the intersection. If you go to the roundabouts that now are taking over four-wheel stops, you do not stop at a roundabout. Obviously, the spirit bears witness here. Okay. You yield. You do not stop. It's not a four-way stop. You yield. Everybody say, you yield. I started saying, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. I started to sing that, but I wasn't going to, because I was going to, I just wanted to go on record that says, sometimes when we go from the reservoir of being so polite, and we ignore the authority or the rules that guides us, it's misled. And it leads us to more confusion than it does acceptance or help. Are y'all, are y'all following me? This reservoir of emotion is really playing in a lot of aspects of our lives that we don't know it. We really don't. Uh, and, and sometimes those reservoirs get real full and sometimes they get low. Uh, for example, this next meme. Can anybody read that? Decisions exhaust uh, our willpower. We each have a reservoir of will and discipline, and it gets progressively depleted by any act of conscious self-regulation. Can anybody identify with that poor poor soul? Yeah, okay, I can. I can, because cupcakes and sprinkles don't tempt me, but man, ice cream... I just fall victim to all the time, all the time. You know how you can tell when you've had enough ice cream? It's all gone. (laughs) That's the only way that you can tell that you've had enough ice cream. 
So the question is for us, have we based that a lot of our decisions are made either value-based or they're habitual? A lot of our decisions, all, all of our decisions are made, for, are based and made from an emotional standpoint. The question is, how do we make decisions in our life from an emotional standpoint that honors God? Simple, very simple. We feel our emotional connection and tank for God, we fill it up every week. How far would you go if you had a car and you filled it up on Monday and you left and had all your daily tasks and everything, how far would you go before you need to fill it up again? On average, usually it's a week, okay? And basic, basic running around, it's usually a week. Some of you get a day, some of you get two days, but most, most of the gas and consumption is studied, they want to have a tank that you can drive for, for about six to eight hours or that you can drive in normal commuting about a week. And then after that week or that, however you put the miles on, however long it is, you've got to go what? You've got to go fill up. You've got to go fill up. Now, this is not rocket science here. This is not questions that are, you don't know what the answer is. This is very obvious type questions. But the fact is, uh, we have an emotional tank too. Emotional tank that first has to be established. And we establish that emotional tank by creating a relationship with God by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. After we accept God, God gives us a tank, emotional connection, so to speak, with God. And when we have that emotional connection, we study, we pray, we worship, we do all these things to renew and to fill our tank up over and over and over again. You know why? Because the world is out there to kill, to steal, and destroy. And they want, to make, want you to make every decision in the world that you can make that will draw you far, far away from the God who loves you, the God who redeems you, and the God who has a better way for you than the world. But yet we're so full of the influence of the world and we think that we're good because we've accepted Christ one time and we forsake together gathering of the fellowship of the saints, we forsake worshiping together, we forsake reading scripture, we forsake praying and just talking to God, we forsake studying the word of God and apply it and how it should be applied in our life, we forsake all those things because the world is trying to kill us and separate us from those things. And when we fail to do those things, our emotional connection with God gets depleted and when that gets depleted, it becomes harder and harder and harder to make decisions that line up with God's will and his way for our lives, being wisdom and discerning through the spirit because we're so detached emotionally from his presence. Are y'all listening to me? It's very important. So how do we emotionally get connected and stay connected with God? First of all, we understand what Romans 1 and 2 says to us. Put that scripture on, on the board for us. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. That's why we need to stay connected. He's done everything for us to stay connected. He also wants us to do some things as well. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Next one. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you some of y'all are reading with this, some of y'all are just waiting for lunch. It's okay. But listen, how you think about this is important. This is what this text is saying. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. This is what God's desire is for his people. But if we get in a boat and we just let the world take us to where it pleases, it's wanting to steal, to kill, and destroy. But God wants what? What is pleasing, what is perfect. That's what he wants for us. So following God is the way of choice. Following God is what we need to try to decide to do. And even when we do, there are things of the world, there are relationship issues, there are job issues, there are all kinds of different issues that take place that seems to still try to kill us and destroy us, depress us, and keep us far from the emotional attachment that we need to have to make decisions in the authority of God. It's strategically done, yet we don't recognize it and we fall prey to it because we don't intentionally strive to do the things that God says we need to do to have this emotional connection alive, vibrant, and well. You say, how, we, how do we do this? Well, first thing that we do is that Scripture says that we come to renew our mind. In that same text, uh, it says that we need to be transformed. This is a, in the new, this is a new living translation. In the new international version, it says this in the last verse in two. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. These patterns, like not going to church, these patterns of not praying, these patterns of not reading the word, these patterns of not doing stuff that makes that emotional connection real and relational connections real with God, these are the things that we're not supposed to conform to. Don't conform to those patterns that want to lie to you, to tell you it's the only pretty day this week and you've got a bass boat out there, hit the lake and let's start fishing. The one that wants to lie to you and tell you you don't have to pray today because you don't have time, you got traffic and everything else, you need to get in your car and go on and don't matter. It doesn't worry about praying, you'll catch that in the morning or the next day. Those patterns of the world that want to alienate you from the possibilities that God has for you if you'll stay faithful and emotionally connected, understanding his authority that helps you make decisions that will honor him and set you free. These are the decisions that he's talking about. These are the patterns that he's talking about that we're not to be transformed into. But he says this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind, say that with me, by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to approve what God's will is to his good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. This is important. You need, you need to grasp this. When we practice spiritual disciplines, it's not just a rote thing that we do to check off the list and say we've done it. Even though it sometimes is. Sometimes I have to do things 
because I know it's right until my heart catches up and I know it's right. Are you listening to me? There's things that I do that I know it's right even though I don't feel it, even though I don't have that emotional connection at the point until I do find that connection that is emotional, that is spirit lifting, that is pleasing to God. We alienate ourselves because we're following the patterns of the world. We're not worshiping God anymore. We come to church and we don't enter into worship. We come and listen and we become a critique about how the band played. The drummer was a little bit fast today. He was a little bit loud. Uh, the guitarist was, you know, he was okay, but this microphone was too loud. The music was too loud. It's too cold in there. The carpet is dated. And the paint, gosh, when are they going to paint this thing? It's been like 10 years since they painted. And you hear and see everything but the Spirit of God. Why? Because you came looking for everything but the Spirit of God. We have not because we ask not. He says, seek. Ask, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be open. These are the things that we're required to do. These are action things. And what do they do? They bring us back into an emotional connection with God. Because anytime you do something, it spawns a reaction or an emotion that connects us together. If you go on a date with somebody, if you're dating, you go out and have dinner together, get caught in the rain together and get wet and the thing just falls apart and you think it's just awful. Well, guess what? You'll remember that date more than you will anyone. Go to weddings. Went to weddings. By the way, Aaron and, and Lauren celebrated 17 years this past week. They sent me a picture. And as this young and that married them, I don't even know who it was. But he was a good looking devil. Had brown hair. He was skinny. He was skinny. Good looking. Good looking. You go to weddings and stuff, here's what I tell people about weddings. Listen, weddings don't need to be perfect. Matter of fact, you have a perfect, you have a perfect wedding, you'll have an immemorable wedding. The memories come when things happen when the flower girl chases the dog, when the ring falls and rolls down halfway under the feet of the grandma, when somebody passes out because they locked their knees, boom. You remember things like that. It's funny. I remember when Austin got married, I, uh, Isaac and, and Cameron was sitting on, and Isaac locked his knees. Mr. You know, Perfect, he's got everything under control. He locked his knees and just about passed out. And I saw him wiggling, and I saw Cameron sturdying him, you know, and, and of course... What he told me, he said, yeah, I thought I was going to make it. And I looked over at your notes and I saw you had about five or six more pages. <laughs> and he said, I know I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That's pretty funny. But anyway, and I told him, I said, if I knew you were going through like that, I said, I would have added three more, but I didn't know. It. I didn't know it. 
Those are the enduring things. Those are things that build relationships. When you're in the military, they, we go through what we call team obstacle courses. In other words, we're given obstacles that we have to overcome together. It creates an emotional bond with each other and it brings us tighter together. And then we make decisions by the influence of our team and togetherness instead of our individual rightness. Are y'all listening to me at all? These are important things. We need to come to church. We need to worship and we need to worship together. We need to come expecting to see God, not wore out carpet. We need to come with joy in our hearts that we get together in God's name. We need to pray and our prayers don't have to be liturgical and our prayer doesn't have to be super spiritual. It's communicating with God just Talk to the creator that loves you so much that he calls you son and daughter. Talk to him. Talk to him. And by the way, when you see the wayward son in this parable, he was a son, he left a son, and he came back a son. He was never not a son. Listen to me. He was never not a son. But he took and made decisions that separated from his father. But he also made some decisions that allowed his father to redeem him. We'll get into that next week. We need to pray. We need to study the word. We need to, these are obstacles. Studying the word are obstacles that help us draw closer to God. They help us understand the nuances of his will and who he was and who he is and who he wants us to be and who he is going to be. See, God says through his word that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we get to know God through the study of his word, how he loves us and how he cares for us, and our response to that love, because our response to that love is not to soak it in and be the kid on the bed that you scratch in his bed and make him laugh. That's not what the Father's doing for us. The Father's doing something for us that we can do and act that brings victory in our lives, that brings us to a place that we can be overcomers, bought by the blood of the Lamb. These are actions and things that are called to respond to God's love and how we're to act in that love. And we make these decisions about how we do that from an emotional basis of understanding that God loves us. God loves us. We need to think and meditate as Philippians 4 says on whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's a good or report, these things meditate on. In other words, we need to get rid of the negativity and the condemnation of everything and everybody and start being positive and start loving each other and start talking with a positive aspect. God says that he prepares a table for me even in the presence of my enemy. God is preparing a place for us to dwell. He's preparing a place for us to eat. He's preparing a place for us to have provision. Even though there's people out there to kill us and steal us and snare us and to defeat us and everything else, even in the midst of that, we can find the promise of God, the pleasure of God, the perfect and good will of God because he is perfect. He is perfect. 
And if we'll start spending more time looking for that perfectness instead of the, 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 the badness and, and the deploringness of everything else and the criticalness of everything else, we will find ourselves in a place that God uses and a place that our decisions more match up to his will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So let me ask you a question. How are you replenishing and renewing your mind in the emotional category and connection with God? How is your relationship becoming real and sustainable in that emotional connection? Because we make decisions based on our emotional connection. It's proven. It's proven. If you're a stranger in a home, it's hard to call yourself a son or a daughter. Are you listening to me? If you're a stranger in the home, it's hard to call yourself a son, yet we have people doing it all the time. Why? Because they're not making this connection. Even you here now, some of you have already checked out, you're already at 306 eating barbecue. Some of you are rolling your eyes, waiting for this preacher to shut up so you can get in the car and you can go eat lunch. Some of you are saying, is he about done? And do we have to sing this song? Can't we just go? It's already after 12. I didn't know that, by the way. But even in your points of discouragement, even in your points of wanting the preacher to hush, even in your points of wanting the song not sung and be over, you're creating an impact, an image in your heart that you know that even because you were here not wanting to be or maybe absolutely tired of it, it's still an impression on your life that you have to acknowledge that it's important. I'll finish with this. Bruce Springsteen, I saw an interview with him the other day. Bruce Springsteen wrote, has written a lot of music. And in that writing of music, he tells a lot of stories of ballads when he writes these music. And he's taking a question and answering session and they ask him, he said, Bruce, we see a lot of religious tone and tenor within your music that you write. And we want to know a little bit about that. He said, you know, it's funny you ask that because he said, I went to Catholic school. And man, I tell you what, when I graduated Catholic school, I thought I was going to leave that behind. I said, see ya, never to even have anything about it to be in my life again. But he said, as I've grown older, and as I've grown and I've written and I've seen life, he says, those things still seem to crop up in me. I can't explain. He said, there's just something that I identify with about who I am and the connection I have emotionally with those things that I was taught. He said, now granted, there was a lot of corporal punishment going on and this, that, and the other. But he said, the spiritual aspects and principles that they taught about God and grace and love and all these different things, they show up in my music, not because I intend for it to be, it's just who I am. So even though he was there under objection, even though he was there under duress, 
Even though he was there, he was there and he was exposed. And it created an emotional attachment to the God of creation that he said he cannot escape. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? And shouldn't that be the testimony of our kids? And shouldn't that be our testimony as well? Let's make it so. You know how you do? You make a decision. You make a decision. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to decide today. Now here's the beauty part of it. You didn't tell them what you're going to decide. And you've got a thousand decisions you're going to make today before you walk out this door. There's unbelievable amounts of data that you're processing in your brain. And you're going to have to organize and make decisions on that information. The question is, how will you decide? And what authority will you decide? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your love. May we be renewed in our hearts and may our lives be restored. And through this emotional connection and the decisions that we make, may we understand that good and pleasing and perfect will of God in our lives. We pray this now in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Thanks for joining us. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you'll find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your Friendship North experience.